0: You are dialed into the Success Line podcast,
1: the place where you get a chance to phone a friend, call in a lifeline and ask a favor of someone who's been there and done that. This is real people getting one-on-one coaching with Success Entrepreneurship
0: editor and New York Times best-selling author Rory Vaden. Here's Rory. Hey there, it's Rory Vaden, co-founder of Brand Builders Group and your host of The Success Line. What you're about to hear is a real-life conversation with somebody that I am just meeting about the actual struggles they are facing each and every day in their life and their business. You and I are gonna meet them at the same time. We're gonna have an honest talk and then stick around at the very end and I'll do a debrief and a recap, highlighting some of the biggest takeaways that you can apply to your own life. Let's get started. Hey, welcome back to another episode of The Success Line. Rory Vaden is here. I am joined by a woman named Sharon, and Sharon has a nonprofit that presumably she's looking to grow, but uh, that's about all I know about Sharon. So I'm, in a, I'm meeting her for the first time. We're going to get to know her a little bit. I know that she found us through the Achievers Community of Success, and uh, that, is a part of our, that is our free community that anyone can join at Achievers success.com so Sharon welcome to the show it's great to have you thank you so much Rory it's really a pleasure to be here I'm excited. so yeah we're totally excited so so tell me a little bit about yourself and and what do you do for work and then we'll kind of talk about why you know I'd, I'd also love to hear about this nonprofit you started and why and what it does oh exactly
1: so I am work-wise I've been a a certified real estate appraiser for 25 plus years. Mm. And so I work in that space on a regular basis. And then I actually launched a foundation, a nonprofit foundation in um, honor of my sister in order to help women who are, Mm -hmm. it's twofold. It's women that are currently battling depression and anxiety because I have um, experienced that. My sister experienced that. And I know how vital it is to get professional help. And that's the one thing that women tend not to want, or most folks tend not to want to do who are battling uh, depression, anxiety. And so the goal of my, the nonprofit is to be that liaison and to create a village for women so that once they talk to me, I can coach them and get them to a comfort point to where they will want to go and talk to someone professionally, a therapist or a psychiatrist. And so that's one aspect of okay. my, of the foundation. The other side is I also help just women who are just regular women who just want to um, work on setting their goals towards building their dreams. And interestingly enough, I have women who in the um, – Clients who actually start off because I was coaching them through their depression, who actually we wind up going into the gold and the goal and dream building aspect of it. So it actually is really great, and that's the part that is just really fulfilling.
0: And is that is that a separate company or is that part of the the, the nonprofit?
1: That's part of the nonprofit. Yes.
0: Wow. Okay. What happened to your sister?
1: She, this, she died in 2002. Um, she passed mm-hmm. away. Initially, I told people she passed away from AIDS because she did have AIDS. But um, a, several years or a few years after she passed away, I found myself going through depression. So that's when I realized that it wasn't necessarily the AIDS by itself. It was It was an easy way for her to stop taking her medication and just give up. And of course, at that time you, with AIDS, you have to take the medication. Otherwise, um, it is, you know, it, it, it's a death sentence, um, but it's easy to give up. She was knowing that she had two minor kids. And so wow. I knew that something, it was weird for her not to, to, to just give up and not want to continue on living. And when I started going through depression, and major depression, that's when I realized, wow, a light bulb went off, and I understood what she was going through. Because right at the very end, it was too late. But she she told me one day, she goes, oh, I don't want to die. You know, I want to live. But of course, it was too late. Um, wow. The AIDS had pretty much, um, the virus had pretty much taken over. and
0: And she she had just kind of stopped taking her medication. And that's what, what, what happened. And she
1: would off and on, she would start taking it and then she would stop. She was, (sighs) yeah. So, and I know that's because of the depression, because depression tells you that, you know, you're worthless, you know, your, your family would be better off without you. Um, Go ahead and just kill yourself. That, that is literally, those are the thoughts that go through your mind when you're going through depression. And I describe it as it's like a power that has totally taken over your your brain, because coming from someone who was who's normally very ambitious and you know outgoing and I set my I set a goal and I just work towards it and then nothing can stop me from reaching that goal until I started going through depression and then that's when I realized, holy cow, this is horrible. This is this is awful and. It, I, I really understood it. And, and funny thing is my undergrad, my BA is in psychology, but all that goes out of the window. Um, you know, when you start going through things yourself, you're like, oh, why? This, this is really what it's like. This is this is awful. And so that's when I realized what was going on with her. And it it made much more sense because I was very angry with her that she had given up knowing that she had two young kids.
0: <laughs> Where are kids?
1: Well, they're, they're grown now, but my husband and, my husband and I, um, before she passed away, when she found out that she had um, AIDS or if she was HIV positive initially. And so she actually asked my husband and I if we would get joint custody with her uh, of her kids. And She was, you know, married not, at the time and her husband was the one that gave her the AIDS, but the HIV positive. But yeah, so we agreed. And when she passed away, we raised her kids along with uh, my mom, thankfully.
0: So wow, it, yeah, it was a joint effort. But
1: they're grown
0: now, and and so and so for you. How long was it after you said she died in two thousand two? Right, and then in two thousand five so, is when 2005. I two thousand five. Yeah. So so basically, your sister dies. You become a parent of two and Hello, three. My years, own daughter. Oh, and you had your own. So you end up. You you guys now you you're raising three kids. Yes. And then three years later. You start going through depression, even though you have a degree in psychology. Correct. Yep. Yeah. Wow. How did you realize you had depression?
1: Oh, because I knew that something was very off and I had no motivation. Um, And I I did have one other thing, uh, two other things going on. So there was a lot. um, And that's probably a lot of things brought it on. um, I was getting my MBA at the time. Um working 14 hour days as an appraiser. Um, so it was there was a lot going on and probably, probably just too much. And mm-hmm. um I I realized that in my last year of grad school, I would, because I was taking evening courses. And when I first started grad school, I was so excited. Love my because I love school. I love learning. And but by the end, when I would go to class in the evening, I didn't even want to get out of my car to go to class. And I was like, what is this? Why am I feeling this way? And so, and it just, and it got worse. It started off as, you know, maybe two weeks in the month. And then because I didn't get any professional help, then it was every day. Wow. And, what, and, and when, when were you, when did you start grad school? I actually started in 2000. But when my sister passed away, I took a hiatus in 2002.
0: Okay. Um. Yeah. So, back, but by like 2005, you were back in grad school. Oh, yes. I, I went
1: back 2004. Okay. Yeah. yeah I think it was okay. end, of, end of 03, 2004 is when I went back.
0: Well, thank you for sharing that. I know those are like, those are pretty intimate details about mm-hmm. your life and your sister Uh, We haven't, we don't even know what your question is yet, but there's a couple of reasons. One, I just am inspired to hear your story. And I think it's important for people to know that even psychologists can struggle with this mental health issue and, and, and mental illness. And this is a real thing. And I want people to know that the other thing that jumps out, out to me about this conversation, Sharon, and I don't even know where your question is going yet. But one of the things we say it all the time on this show, because we say it all the time at brand builders group is that you are most powerfully positioned to serve the person you once were in, in all of life, you're most powerfully positioned to serve the person you once were. And so often the greatest businesses and the greatest nonprofits start out of that desire to serve the person that you once were, which is what the story is. And so I don't know exactly what your question is. We are going to get to that here in just a second, but there's a good chance that whatever your question is, a lot of the answer
1: mm-hmm.
0: has to do with reconnecting to why you're doing what you're doing. And in any business, it's so easy to get consumed with all of the tasks and the stuff you have to learn from setting up the, the, the legal you know entity Correct. and structure and filing taxes and hiring people and setting up websites and and you know creating payment processors and raising money and getting customers and dealing with complaints and planning events and like it's so easy to lose sight of why I started this thing and in your case it is such a powerful driving force that, you know, that's something you got to stay centered on because the work that you're doing is so important, Sharon. And there are so many people out there struggling with exactly what you're describing that you went through, that your sister went through. And, um, so, so thank you for that work. And how can we help? I guess on a, in a, in a bit of a tactical sense, what, what's your biggest, what's your biggest question for the success line?
1: Um, Well, my biggest success, I mean, my biggest (laughs) question, success, my biggest question and challenge right now is how to um, get funding for my nonprofit. Because as of right now, the way it's set up is because I want the women to get the help that they need, or at least come talk to me um, just so that they can get comfortable talking to someone there are no fees so there this my services my coaching services are free so my challenge is since my services are free how do i keep the foundation going how do i get funding to be able to actually continue to help the women that need the you know this assistance and this mm-hmm. coaching
0: yeah okay so great well so this is, you know, on a, on a super high level, I mean, let me ask you the question back. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you this question. Before we talk about how, mm-hmm. let's ask the question, where, mm. where do you find funding for nonprofits? And I'll just flip that question back to you to see if you can, right. you, you tell me.
1: Well, I, I, I know, um, three things stand out. Or pop it in my head, shall I say? And one, of course, is um, would be grants from you know government type grants. And um, I have looked. I'm in the process right now of looking into grants through the um, Mental Health Act for the local county in, in my area. Um, another set of another source of funding would be private. Uh, grants from private foundations. I uh, found out that uh, there are organizations that actually provide um, issue grants uh, to nonprofits. And then, of course, um, the all-known uh, other sources, fundraisers, which is probably, you know, um, and I guess in today's uh, world with online crowdsourcing and GoFundMe, um, that's probably one avenue. But just mm-hmm. fundraisers overall.
0: hmm So great. So you answered your own question <laughs> right. about where to you go. Cause your your real question, your real question, I don't think has much to do with where or how. I think it has to do with the emotional mm-hmm. uncertainty. I, I think what you're really dealing with here is a fear of rejection. Right. Yep. And you're, you're dealing with fear. You're afraid this won't succeed. You're afraid that people will tell you no. You're afraid that people won't care. Um, that's the real issue going on here, which is the real issue for everyone. And, and by the way, let me say this, because I don't believe we've had someone on here talking about a nonprofit specifically yet as a guest. And let me make this abundantly clear in terms of what my own opinion is. Running a nonprofit is running a business. Absolutely. Every skill set needed to start and run and grow and scale a business are is the exact same set of skills that you need to start and run a nonprofit. And the best nonprofits make profit, right? Like <laughs> right, the, exactly. They, they actually make profit. Now, the way those profits are treated are differently, but they 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 become self-sustaining that the, the way to have a nonprofit survive. And I'm actually on the board of a, a fairly large nonprofit is, is when it, it has a machine and a mechanism that runs that perpetually provides funding to where they're not always dependent and desperate on the next ask or the next gift in order to survive. You have to build an ecosystem and a machine that funds itself. Um, which is the same as generating a sale from a customer. It's it's the same as generating marketing awareness for a software you know service or you know any any anything. So we're all dealing in attention and awareness. Um, so you know the list. You go where where does the money come from? It pretty much comes from grants and donors. And I'll say this: uh, I'm much more. Excited about donors than I am about grants. Mm, yes. Why? <laughs> why, Sharon? You tell me why. I
1: would. Yeah, I would think because donors actually are really truly vested in the cause and the reason for the foundation. They, they, they probably have some personal um, story behind why they're giving to this organization. It's personal for them. Basically, at the end of the day, it's it's a heart. Um, Donation. It's a, it's a relationship from their heart. If, if
0: mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, I think that's a big, that's a big part of it mm-hmm. the, um, is, you know, people usually give money to, th- they give their own money to things that they're personally interested in that they, that they, that they personally care about. Um, that's the altruistic answer. Okay. But <laughs> the, the business answer is this getting money from donors is much more controllable predictable mm. systematic and likely it, it, it's it's in your hands mm. getting grants is completely surrendering to a governmental process which i don't have a ton of faith in at least not for efficiency's sake right, right. um uh, of of somebody you know some bureaucratic process of application. I don't mean that in a negative way. I, grants are amazing. Thank, thank goodness for grants. You should you should pursue grants. They're, they are there for exactly what you're doing, but it's less of a thing that you can control. Um, now, to some extent, you can control it, which is to apply for as many grants as possible. And you got to figure out a way to find them, mm-hmm. look them up, apply for them, follow up with them on a systematic basis. And that it, it can't just be like, oh, I feel inspired today. I'm gonna go fill out an application. It's gotta be a machine that we hunt for grants. We look for grants um, and you you fill out apps because it's it's prospecting. It is, it is a numbers game. Uh, on one hand, it's a numbers game. It is just going, the more people I talk to, some percentage of them are going to say yes. That's true with grants. But again, that one feels less controllable with me because I have to convince a team and a whole process Mm -hmm. and maybe a selection committee to all sign off that my nonprofit or my cause is a good one or whatever versus a donor is I need to find one individual person. And I, and there's a lot more people, there's a lot more wealthy people in the world than there are grants in the world. So, it's, it just feels like, you know, I don't know however many grants there are I really don't know that much about this space, but, I, you know, let's say it's a few hundred for the kind of cause you're, you're trying to serve, or maybe a few thousand, maybe it's, maybe it's 10,000, mm-hmm. but there are hundreds of thousands and probably millions of people who are wealthy enough that they could write a check to you for 2,000, 5,000, 10,000, 50,000, $500,000 for what you're doing, and they're accessible. You know those those people those people are accessible, mm. um, and um, so so to me, if I'm building a nonprofit the way I'm building a business, I want in any scenario in our life, what we're always trying to do is put the odds in our favor. We're all playing the odds. Even if you follow every success principle, nothing is guaranteed. It's all in, it's all about playing the odds and it's about persevering. And so having donors be the main focus is why I'd get super clear on that. Now, I do Mm -hmm. think you need to create a process for applying for grants, but if you are dependent on grants, your very livelihood is not in your own hands. Correct. Exactly. Exactly. You don't control the timeline. Mm -hmm. You don't control the the, the convincing process very much. You know, they, the funding gets pulled, but if it's like, I got to go convince another human to give me money, it's not easy, but at least it's in your hands. Exactly.
1: Yeah. That's very important. Yeah. That's a really good point. Actually.
0: So I want you to, to go after the donors, right? The private donors and it actually comes back to what i was what, what funny what i said is somehow i believe that the the key to your nonprofit succeeding mm-hmm. is to con, is is c- to connect closer to the purpose for why it began <gasps> which is your sister's story your sister's story is why this began Um, your, 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 your sister, it sounds like, I mean, maybe I'm presuming too much, but more or less, it sounds like she allowed her own life to be taken. She made a a, a conscious choice to basically surrender to, to this, um, which in various forms is what we all do. Some people surrender to suicide. Some people Mm -hmm. stop taking medication. Some people, uh, you know, whatever. So, some some people just get completely addicted to drugs that they don't have a life anymore. Um, so your sister's story is both the reason why you must do this. And and in the moment when you feel fear of rejection, and I, I know what it feels like. I knocked, I went door to door for five years. I've knocked on 30,000 doors. Wow. And then I worked in cold calling phone sales. And then I worked in B2B sales, like knocking on offices. Like I've I have done the coldest of cold calling that there is. I know what that feeling is like. But in the moment when you feel that reluctance, you have to tie into your sister's story. Nice. You have to remember her. And it's not, oh, I need to do this because we need budget or because, you know, we need another donor. It's, it's like, no, my sister is owed this. My sister needs this. There's somebody else out there right now who, who needs this to work. I need to think about that person, and then, so it is both the reason why you must do this. And it is also the, how the, the, the way that you raise money is to tell the story of an individual person. It is, it is to talk about one life that has changed. And oh my gosh, I have to give a shout out to uh, our church. Okay. So uh, I'm, a, I'm on the board of our church at the church in Nashville. It's called Crosspoint. Um, oh, okay. it's fairly, fairly large church. One of the things that our church started doing, I don't know, maybe five, six years ago that transformed giving was they created this thing called the dollar club. And what happens is, uh, I think we have like, you know, when we started, we had whatever, a few thousand, let's call it 5,000 members. Um, we have, we have more than that now, but the idea was everybody gives a dollar, this Sunday, and then come back, and we're going to take all of those one dollar bills, and we're going to pool them together to serve one person, one mm. family in need. Oh, wow. Come back next Sunday, and we're going to show a video of us giving that gift to this family wow. in need, oh, and man. it transformed oh, I the bet. giving. Yes, because oh, I it it was affordable to everybody, and everybody wanted to see their impact. And they wanted to know where is my money going? And, and so the, the, the key here is one story, one life change, one person, um, people connect viscerally to that. They'll, they connect more viscerally to the story of your sister and to your own story. Although I, I think, you know, um, you're more of a success story. Um, and so our heart doesn't break as much for you. It's we're happy for you, which is a good, is a good thing, but, but you are one of the rare ones, right? Like, right. so, so what moves, what, what is most likely to move me, uh, which by the way, all of marketing and sales and leadership is about moving people to action. Um, um, And the best way to, to, in order to move someone to action, you need to move them emotionally. And the way that you move them emotionally is by one story of one real person. And, and, you know, like one real life that, that can be saved. So that is what you gotta, you gotta tie into. So my guess is if you don't have enough money, Sharon, it's because either you're not talking to enough people about what you do and, and that is because you're not closely connected enough to your sisters, to the purpose, the the reason you started this. So mm-hmm. you're either not talking to enough people or you're talking to them and you're not telling them an honest enough story about your sister. Mm-hmm. Um, both of those are the same, they're same thing. It's, it's, it's becoming more centered on that story. And some of that's painful, right? Just because you're having to relive and reshare these these painful stories and these painful parts of your life, but by sharing that pain, living, reliving some of that pain, that pain gets transformed into purpose. And that is, that's where you need to go. Uh, That's, that's, that's what you need. That's where you need to get to. Ah, uh,
1: that makes all the sense in the world. That I mean, you hit the nail on the head, and I have heard that before, that um, stories move people. Stories get people involved because they either can relate to it in some way because maybe they know someone else, so they can relate to it because they see the human aspect of it. So as long right. as people can see that aspect then they're willing to help. So I that makes a whole lot of sense. Thank you.
0: <laughs> yeah, so you you and and we do. We put ourselves every story we see, every movie, every movie we watch, every book we read, we immediately insert ourselves into the story. And 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 here's a question, okay? So 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 there's a couple of things. You know, I think telling that I think telling your sister's story is powerful. It's a, it's, it's a huge part of this. And then I think talking about, you know, some of the women that you've helped in, t- in telling their story or some of the people, um, your sister's story is powerful because you lost her. Um, and, um, and then here's, here's the question that's coming to me in every conversation that you have, like if you were in front of a room full of donors, what I would do is I would ask them a question, something like this. I would say, I want you to think of one person in your life right now who could be going through, who could be privately battling depression. Think of one person in your life right now that could be battling depression. And so the real magic, and this is something that we actually teach, um, we, we, we have a training called world-class presentation craft where I teach. Uh, I was in a contest called the the world championship of public speaking for Toastmasters when I was 22 years old. And I spent two years studying stage craft and stage mechanics. And one of the most powerful moments is when the speaker can tell, um, a story. Uh, in fact, let me send a shout out here. One of my speech coaches, a guy named Craig Valentine, and he won the mm-hmm. 1999 world championship of public speaking. And he was one of my mentors and Craig used to, used to always, say it like this. He would say that the secret is to tell an i focused story, but a you focused message, meaning you tell a story about your own life, but then you connect it to the audience. Okay. Your sister's story is the story, the pain that you experience of that loss. That is the emotion that will move that, 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 that sets it up. But then the part that moves people to action is when you wake them up and you go, there is someone, think of one person in your life right now who, and you you could even say it like this. You could say, think of one person in your life that is super ambitious, that hmm. has it all together, that that gets everything done. That is the amazing mom or the amazing dad and amazing at work and amazing at church. And, and they think of that person and you go, it's I'm telling you statistically that person very possibly is struggling with depression. And, and that's the scariest part about this disease is we don't know who it's affecting and they can't come and tell us. And that's why blankety blank organization exists. That's why I'm here today. And I'm asking you not to support me and not to support even, you know, this mission I'm asking you to support for the people that are in your life that you know but that you don't know they have depression.
1: Right. Oh, that's that's pretty powerful. That's that is powerful. Yeah. I like that. And it's it's and it's so true. Because you most people probably know at there's at least one person in everyone's life that they're going they're battling something. And no, and they're not going to talk about it. Because of course, unfortunately in our society, It's not very welcomed and it's, you know, it's shunned in a lot of cases. Um, So that is very true. And I think that is very powerful. So thank you. That and that makes a whole lot of sense because that definitely gets people to see it from a personal perspective because once it's personal, then you you get it.
0: And it's got to be personal for you. Every day, because here's, here's, here's what you're battling. You either have the fear of rejection or the fear of not saving someone's life because you lost to the fear of rejection. And if you get present to that, Sharon, you go, oh, hell no. There's no way I'm going to know that I have, I have the ability and the God-given skills and the resources and the talents to prevent this happening from su- to someone else, just because I have a little fear of rejection. But if you, if you don't connect into that, the fear of rejection will take over and you'll str- struggle to ask. You'll be timid. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, pardon me, uh, you know, uh, for the, the, the spiritual references here, but <laughs> literally, so this is my Bible verse this morning. And, uh, I, this is just this is what it is. This is so second Timothy chapter one, verse seven. I don't know what your spiritual beliefs are. It doesn't really matter, but here's, this is just a quote. Okay. It says, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline, yeah. which is like in the moments where we're unconnected, disconnected from our purpose, we become, we become timid. We, yes. we lose yep. to the fear of rejection. We're afraid to tell people what we do. We feel like we are a burden, like we are timid. But when we connect to the calling on our life, we are powerful. We are loving we are self-disciplined, that self-discipline that causes you to do the thing you know you should do, which is tell people your sister's story, tell them about your foundation, tell them about depression, talk about this problem, start the conversation, get out there and tell everyone you know about why this issue needs to be dealt with and why they should support, not you. This isn't an investment in you. This is an investment in in a problem and someone else out there. And I believe that you can do it, Sharon. Oh, well, thank you. And I believe so too. <laughs> thank you, Rory. I,
1: I truly appreciate that because that is that is how I get people to to contribute and to understand that it's not just about me because it isn't. And, and you hit the nail on the head when you said, and that is what pains me because when I think about other women that are possibly going through this, it does hurt my heart because as a matter of fact, what that was another reason why I wanted to launch the foundation was because I was talking to a colleague of mine and she informed me that when her daughters were in high school, um, there were two moms at the high school that actually committed suicide because they were going through depression. Wow. And I said, no, this can't keep happening. This cannot keep happening. So that was another thing that said, I, I just knew. And I had the foundation had been on my mind for um, a while for a few years before I actually launched it but of course I was still going through depression so I couldn't get it off the ground but I just knew I said this has to happen because I don't want to keep hearing these stories because they don't ha- they don't have to take their lives because we can get them to that point where they can get help but all it takes yeah. is somebody that knows and understands and that's that's how I feel if and that's how I that's what I share with people um, who do have someone in their family that's going through uh, depression. I just ask them, just have them call me, and then that's how I get them. It, it just opens up the door because then they, I'm like, I'm not telling you this from a professional. I'm not a therapist. I'm telling you this from my experience. I know what you're going through. I know how it is, and I know the thoughts that go through your mind about I don't want to get on medication. Because this or that, I don't want to get, you know, but medication is what brought me out. (laughs) If it wasn't Mm -hmm. for the medication, I would still be battling depression. I have no doubt about that. But I I was one of those people. I didn't want to take medication because you hear the horror stories, but.
0: Well, Sharon, you are the epitome of someone who has walked through pain and survived it. And the reason why. I believe the, the biggest reason why is because you are, you were born to help all the other people who are walking through it right now. I feel that. I,
1: I strongly feel that.
0: Yeah. All right. So well, well, connect you. into it. Go do it. Keep us posted on how it's coming along. And we we'll want to check back in with you here and, and, and get an update on your journey and um, thanks for your heart and thanks for your honesty and your vulnerability. Um, it's a lot to share here open and in, in, in the public, but, um, we're so grateful for you.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Whew. That was honest. I'm so grateful for... Sharon being willing to share the details of her story and what she's up to. And, you know, there's so much, I uh, hope for you, you see the application for your life, even if you don't have a nonprofit because running a nonprofit is running a business, by the way, w- one of the things that I wrote in, um, my procrastinate on purpose book was I said, anyone who runs a household runs a business because they're the, they're the same. It's like so, so many of the, of the, of the same things. And there's just really great lessons in that. And, and uh, I, I'm also grateful, you know, that this show often brings awareness to things that people are struggling with and an issue like depression, which is so tough. And, and especially in a, in a COVID post COVID semi post COVID world, Um, a lot of people out there hurting and struggling. So when I think of uh, the big takeaways for you, there's, you know, I'm going to share with you, I think the three biggest concepts of, I think what are, what are most practical for you. And the first is how to overcome the fear of rejection, how to overcome the fear of rejection. And to me, the biggest way to fight rejection is not logically it's emotionally um it helps to have logical reasons to overcome the fear of rejection and it's not bad to do those too. And, and off, often they can be very effective, but fear is emotional. In fact, you know, the old acronym fear stands for false evidence appearing real. It It's false. It's, it's, it's emotion. Like it's, it's, it's a figment of our imagination. I, I've, I've said this before that fear is your creativity working in the wrong direction. And I happen to have a lot of personal experience with the fear of rejection because it's, you don't lose to what happens. You lose, to the story of what might happen. It's the the, the story, which frankly is unlikely to happen, but it's in your mind, you think of this horrible thing that's gonna take place and that prevents you from, from doing the thing. And so what we talked through there with Sharon is what I believe the biggest secret to overcoming rejection is to remind yourself of your purpose. The biggest secret to overcoming the fear of rejection is to remind yourself of your purpose. Now, you might say, okay, well, Rory, what's my purpose? Now, let, so let me clarify that and make it even more explicit. Your purpose is to serve other people. Your purpose is to help others. Those out there that need your help to help those that you are equipped to help. It's it's as we say, you're most powerfully positioned to serve the person you once were. So, to, to to put those two concepts together, you could say the most powerful way to overcome your fear of rejection is to think about the person out there who needs you. There's somebody out there who needs you. And even though there's a lot of people who don't, you can't let the fact that a lot of people that don't need you, you can't let that group of people prevent you from finding the ones that do. It doesn't mean that those people are bad or wrong or, you know, sometimes they are mean, right? Like sometimes that happens, but you can't get caught up in that because your purpose isn't to serve those people. Your purpose is to serve the people who need you. And in order to find the people who need you, you have to go through a whole lot of people who don't need you. How else can you find them? And so you, you you have to remind yourself of the person out there who needs you. That is the pull that literally pulls you through all the rejection and all the no's and all the setbacks and all the all the the the, the, the pain of of just rejection. And rejection comes whether you're selling something or you're starting a nonprofit or you're trying to drum up awareness for something you care about. Rejection is a natural because The things, even though in your heart, you think everyone should care about the thing that you do. They don't, all of us care about different things. And so you got to go through all the people who don't care about the thing that you care about to find the ones who do. It's basically a giant Easter egg hunt. And so you can't get consumed with all the people who don't need the thing that you need, you have to be consumed with all the people who do need the thing that you need. And so all the people that you come across who don't need the thing that you need, don't stand in your way of reaching the people who do need the thing that you do, right? Um, so that is the number one key to overcoming rejection. And to me, the, the big takeaway, first big takeaway from that conversation. The second big takeaway that comes out of that chat is understanding that influence, which effectively is what I have dedicated my entire career to studying. Influence is simply the art of moving people to action. That's it. So, you know, people who follow Rory Vaden, they, they see me talk about personal development and they see me talk about sales and they see me talk about leadership. And then they see me talk about like personal branding and marketing and you go, Why do I talk about those things? Because the thing that all four of those have in common is they are, they are all around the art of moving people to action. Self-development is about moving yourself to action, right? Getting yourself to take action. That's why, My first book, Take the Stairs, is about taking action. It's how to get yourself to do the thing you know you should do that you don't feel like doing. It's the psychology of doing that, moving yourself to action. Sales is a conversation about how to, in, in my opinion, ethically move someone to take action in what's best for them, not for you. But it's still moving them to action. Leadership is about mobilizing a team of people. It's moving a team to action and marketing or personal branding is about mobilizing an entire community. It's getting a whole army of people to take action. It's creating a movement all of those things are, are different levels of influence. We call those the four levels of influence. But, but the key to doing that, whether it's moving yourself to action or another person as in sales or moving a team to action and leadership or moving a community action to action with marketing is you have to learn how to move people emotionally. That's what we were just talking about with overcoming the fear of rejection. You have to move yourself emotionally. You have to remind yourself that, the fact that I'm experiencing rejection right in this moment is it it it, it doesn't matter. It, it because like the fact that I'm being rejected is irrespective of the fact that there's still someone out there who needs me. And I have to be focused on that person. That's how I move myself emotionally to take action. Um the, th- and, and so if you want to move people to action, you need to learn how to move them emotionally. And we shared a couple techniques that, that came out of that conversation. One is from Craig Valentine is tell stories, D- uh, tell, tell an I focused story with a you-focused message. So you tell a story about your life, something that you personally experienced, and then you translate it into how it affects the other person's life, or, or you create that connectivity point for the, um, yeah, the, the, the connectivity point for the person listening to the story about what it has to do with them or people in their life. So that's really huge. The other thing is tell the story of one person. Telling a real life story about one person is more powerful than telling a broad general story about lots of people. We connect viscerally to details and context, and we can all put ourselves in the shoes of another person. What's hard to connect with emotionally is to a, a large group of people who all have different circumstances and different scenarios. And so the irony is, you might think about like talking about this great movement is would be a, a super powerful and effective and important, but in reality we're more likely to connect with the story of one person, one individual uh, and and what the impact of that story then is on our life. And so that's a, that's, that's an emotional thing. I mean, you could call it a marketing tactic, but it's deeper than that. It's, it's, it's about human connectivity and, and understanding what causes us to move and to go and to overcome procrastination and indulgence and stagnancy and complacency to engage and to, to, to combat inertia and to create a for enough force to change your direction. And that happens through learning how to move people emotionally, including yourself. And then the third takeaway for, for me actually came at the, at the, at the very end was something that Sharon said, which is, um, you know, she said that my heart, my heart breaks. And when we're working with personal brands and we're trying to actually help them find their uniqueness as, as we call it, one of the things we do is we, we take people through these six questions. We call it the brand DNA helix, um, and I actually talk about this on one of the courses that, that, uh, we've, we've put in for success for like all access. And, um, but, but one of the qu- six questions is, is called, is it, what are you passionate about? Like, what are you, um, passionate about? Now, when we hear that question, what are we passionate about? We think of like, oh, what fires you up? But another form of that question is what breaks your heart? What makes you sad? The thing that breaks your heart, the thing that makes you sad. We, we believe that your purpose and your like never ending wellspring of motivation often is connected to the thing that just like breaks your heart and makes you sad. It's like, because you, you, you were designed uniquely to, to be connected spiritually even, but at least emotionally to that issue. And the more that you tap into that, then it's like the more force you have, the more momentum you create, the more endurance you have, the more likely you are to persevere by connecting in to the answer to what breaks your heart. What, what makes you sad? What makes you mad? What makes you angry? and, And then also, what are you passionate about? Like what fires you up? And so spending a little time thinking about that question is, is really great. So those are a couple of the key takeaways. Overall, I would say this, th- this episode has a lot to do with learning to move yourself and others emotionally, which is what influence is. Influence can happen in the form of marketing. It can happen in the form of sales. It can happen in the form of leadership. It can happen in the form of coaching yourself. It can happen in the form of coaching someone else. But humans, we are moved by the emotional. And the more skilled that you can become at moving people emotionally, including yourself, the better off you will be. If you would like to appear on the success line, head to success.com slash success line guests to
1: fill out the application form. If you're enjoying the podcast, feel free to rate review. And most of all, tell your friends, this has been a success podcast, head to success.com slash podcast to hear more just like it.